Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is Friday, May 28th. Hope y'all had a good short week with Monday being a holiday. How you doing, Simon? I'm doing well. Excited to, to record and get ready for the weekend. Yeah, and we're already coming around to the weekend again here. I'm playing some golf after we record this because I am dodging the snow that is in Toronto right now. I deserve this, by the way. I was making fun of Edmonton last week for the podcast that went out on this latest Monday for it snowing there. And look, it's snowing in Toronto now, so I deserve all of it. Yeah, and let's not forget uh, you've made fun of Ottawa a few times in the past for being uh, so far up north as well. So let's let's not forget about that. <laughs> it will now the the northern cities are warmer, so I'm up north right now. It's great. Okay, so we got a jam packed episode here. We're going to talk about the new Netflix series that is about money. I think is it Vox who does it? Who does it? I think so. Is yeah, it, I think it's they have Vox, the Explain yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Right? The Explain yeah. series. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about my new model that I've been working on for Stratosphere and uh, some nuances to that. Uh, Simon's going to talk about bonds. And then I'm going to end the episode with Mercado Libre, ticker M-E-L-I. All right. So before we get into that, uh, let's talk about credit card economics. And I'd be rich if I had a penny for all the times we talk about this, but I still get questions about it, and I still think it's worth emphasizing how the credit card business works from the standpoint of Visa and MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard are the largest positions by weighting uh, in my portfolio and other than Constellation Software, actually. It's my largest U.S. holdings. Anyways, the credit card business is very uh, misunderstood overall. Uh, in, in terms of the actual payment network providers like Visa and MasterCard. So I made a graphic to help explain it. I posted it on my Twitter, at Bredo Capital. It's there if you want to see it. And it goes through a, an exercise of a 2% processing fee, which is by example only because it can range from about 1.5% all the way up to even 4%, depending on what are called interchange fees. I'm going to get into what those are in a second, but... We're going to use a 2% processing fee, which is very normal on a transaction. Okay, so let's let's go through this. Simon, I go up to your store. You sell a Simon Shoe Store, SSS. It rhymes. You're going to have to make a shoe store after this. Uh, and I give you $100. I pay. I swipe my Visa. I swipe my MasterCard, whatever it is. 2% comes off the top. You, the merchant, Simon Shoe Store gets 98 bucks, okay? So the 2% in that transaction, where does it go? All right, so around 0.13 or 0.14% on average goes to the payment network Visa or MasterCard. That's not a lot. So on a $100 transaction, they only collected about 14 cents in this example. Now, most of it, about close to $1.50 of it, or $1.44 in my example, goes to the bank that actually issued the credit card. This is the, the bank of the credit card that I used when I paid at Simon's Shoe Store. 
they got about $1.50, or in my example, $1.44, so 1.44% in this 2% processing fee example. That issuing bank that gave me the credit card, they take on the credit risk, and they actually collect the interchange fees. The bank, the issuing bank collects that. The payment network gets paid that 0.13, 0.14%, or 14 cents in this example, for the assessment fee. Now, the other about 40 cents or so goes to Simon's Bank, the bank of the merchant, or also known as the acquirer bank. So it's the bank of the merchant, in this case, Simon's Shoe Store. So in that 2%, a very small fraction went to the payment network. But it's like a death by a thousand paper cuts. They're collecting this tiny little sliver of fraction on every time someone uses a cashless transaction on their network. And so I just wanted to clarify how those things work. The bank collects most of it. They're taking on the credit risk. Um, and the acquirer bank even collects a fair bit of it. So hopefully this graphic, if, if all of what I'm saying is, is a lot to, to understand on the podcast, at Bredo Capital, I posted it yesterday. Uh, Simon, walk us through this new Netflix series. I watched it as well. I binged it. I thought it was decently well done. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for the most part that uh, explains series, I find them really interesting. There's different topics. They tend to come out with like a a topic and then we'll have four or five episodes on them. So the most recent one was the uh, money series of explained. If you have Netflix, you'll be able to watch it. They're really well made. Um, I thought obviously there's some concepts for people that have been listening to us for a while, or if you've just listened to uh, Braden's credit card explanation, there's some concepts uh, that you'll learn in that. Uh, but they're about 20, 25 minutes each, really easy to, to watch. Um, so the five installments, there's one about get rich quick schemes. Uh, it's really interesting because it talks about a lot of the things that we dump on in terms of, you know, those Forex exchange and stuff like that. Those uh, those bros on, Nef- on a uh, YouTube commercials that are trying to sell you some, you know, how they became rich. Yet, uh, if they're so rich, why are they selling these products? That's always <laughs> that's always my question. Uh, the that's sec- the million dollar question you got to ask yourself right there. Exactly. Uh, the second one is about credit cards and specifically uh, a bit more credit cards, but how, um, what kind of, what, what kind of credit cards or what kind of consumers are the most profitable for credit card companies and especially what kind of credit card consumer yourself you'll want to be. So that's really interesting. You can really maximize the usage of credit cards. Um, there's even a guy that I remember he he gets trips and stuff everywhere just because he has what like a portfolio of 20 or 30 if if not even more credit cards the third one is about student loans um, that probably applies a bit better to the u.s and canada because our education typically is more affordable in canada but obviously a lot of people do have student loans and how it can really impact your savings altogether and really weigh on you for a long time it's really relating to debt um, the gambling one is really interesting as well. So it explains how especially the stock market and various things can have a bit of a gambling component, especially when you look at the uh, trading component. 
And the last one is about retirement. Uh, so just some basic concepts about retirement, how much you should have saved if you want a comf comfortable retirement, the different kinds of pensions over time, how they've evolved, how the risks went from businesses bearing most of the risk to the actual employee or the individual bearing most of the risk and having to be financially literate, which is one of the big reasons, obviously, we do this podcast is to help people take care of their, um, you know, of their financial well-being and retirement and pensions, especially, obviously, the fine contribution pensions are a big part of that. Yeah, two thoughts there. Uh, one, I like that they talked about gambling and some of the stuff going on on Robinhood in the same conversation. Because let's not kid ourselves, that is pure gambling. And I, I honestly, I really don't know how these brokerages sleep at night when they get you to sign up for their app and then you, you load on money and they give you a free stock, like air quotes, free stock, and you actually have to scratch it off on your screen like it's a like a scratch-off ticket. That's, that is not right, dude. That's, that is not right. You, they know what they're doing there. And uh, they're incentivized to act poorly, which is just annoying. Um, and then the retirement one, yeah, it was interesting to see the transition over time from the pension kind of taking care of you to you got to figure out your retirement on your own these days, man. And that's why I do, and you, you, you as well. That's why we get up and work hard on this podcast because these things matter, man. The, the, the responsibility has transitioned to individuals and you got to, you got to take care of it, man. You really do. And, and I think that's, I think we're doing a pretty decent job here, Simon. Yeah, yeah, and especially when people don't aren't financially literate and they have a defined contribution pension, for example, and they give that money over um, to a you know a financial advisor who's supposed to have their best interests at heart, but then they put them in these like two three percent mutual funds. Um, people, I encourage you to really, if you have something like that, whether it's an RSP locked in RSP or a DC pension. If you look at the fees and you have like some very high fees, take a compound income calculator and just look at how much it will affect your retirement savings over a long period of time because it may not sound like much, but 2%, I've done it myself, can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over a long period of time depending how much you're saving. Um, so that's something I think we... We harp on fees a lot, but that's the reason why we harp on fees, because if you can get the same products for basically no fee or very low fee, um, you know, you're getting that extra return essentially for free. So um, that's something to keep in mind. And I thought they did a good job of explaining that, um, obviously not in too much detail. And for, for the gambling, a quick note, um, not specific to the uh, Netflix money series, but you know, what's the Wild West really is uh, when people are getting into uh, crypto, but specifically altcoins or shitcoins that uh, we kind of refer them to. Um, you know, there's it's not very regulated and you typically see uh, people being offered 100x leverage. And um, so if anyone's looking to get into crypto and they don't know much about it, just be careful about that because, you know, they don't care really about you. And. You know, you just need a small downturn and you get wiped out. That's what it. That's what it is when you're that levered.
the casino always wins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they protect themselves via margin calls. So <laughs> the casino always wins, right? That's this it. is no different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I'd rather I'd rather go to the casino, have a beer in my hand, and play some blackjack than do whatever that is, man. Like honestly. Or, you know, bet on just a number at roulette. You'll have better odds. Than yeah, <laughs> you do have better odds, honestly. And at least you know you're uh, gambling doing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At least there's no uh, there's no confusion about what you're doing. Uh, fair enough. Okay, uh, moving on. So I've been reworking the Stratosphere score. I've honestly gone out of my way to simplify it. Uh, focusing on quality and growth. And, um, I also have a new section, which is based on my like personal conviction. And I try to tie personal conviction to portfolio weighting. I think those two go hand in hand and that's how I do it. That's how I size positions and what percentage of each company makes the percentage of my portfolio. Um, and I try to rank them and I try to size them by, what is called the Kelly criterion, which is, we've talked about it on this podcast before, but it's a method to rank based on uh, probabilities that you're, that you're right. And so I rank my personal conviction and I shared on Twitter what those top 10 are, top 10 ideas in the model ranked by conviction. Uh, And then Simon, I want you to tell me if you see any themes, um, your general thoughts, but here they are in order. Number one, uh, to no one's surprise, is Constellation Software, uh, which trades on the TSX, which is nice. Uh, That's CSU.TO. Alphabet, ticker Goog, Google. Uh, Visa, ticker V. MasterCard, ticker MA. Unity Software, the gaming engine, ticker U. Autodesk, ticker ADSK. Intuitive Surgical, the robotic surgery company called ISRG which I can't wrap my head around the valuation, but I'm close. From from a business perspective. It wouldn't be the first um, company. <laughs> no, no, I can't get there on value. It's, it's really hard to get there on valuation. That's why I don't own it. But damn, it's a good business. I don't know if it's worth like the 90, almost 100 billion it trades for today, but I, I don't know. Uh, Brookfield Asset Management, ticker BAM. It's the best ticker, by the way. Uh, Tencent, ticker T-C-E-H-Y, and TFI International, the very underrated trucking and logistics company on the TSX, ticker T-F-I-I. There they are. That's them ranked. I didn't try, I try not to tinker with the order too much. I just went by what they are on the on the database, and this is what I came up with. Mm-hmm. I would say there's probably three constants I see there, or three themes. Uh, first one is obviously tech. Second one, payment, and then third one, good management. I think those, uh, you know, probably mm. covers all of them right there. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of like founder-led management for one. Maybe not as much on the big, on the, on the large caps. Well, like when I say large cap, I mean like mega cap. But I agree with that. That is, I think that's objectively correct. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, just on the spot quickly, just trying to to find some constant. Those are the three things that uh, quickly popped to mind for me. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, there they are. Uh, Let's talk about bonds or 
puke bonds. I like I'm I'm throwing up in my mouth when I say bonds, but um, let's talk about them. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to go over why I don't have any bonds in my portfolio because I see a lot of risks in bonds right now. So I'm going to go over some points. People tend to uh, think about bonds being very safe, uh, but I have some arguments that may make you think twice about holding bonds. Um, this is my personal view. Obviously, do your own due diligence when it comes to bonds, but this is why I have zero exposure to bonds. So the first reason is right now they're very low yields. If you look at the uh, VC, VCB.TO, so it's the Vanguard corporate bonds, it's currently yielding 2.75%. I might be off a couple basis points, but that's about it. Um, excluding the yield, it's flat over the past year versus the S&P 500, which is up 30%, excluding dividends. Um, Although bonds will look like a good safe bet, you're really losing money when you're factoring in inflation. Um, official data in the U.S. came out in the past uh, month, so for April, and it's already showing signs of inflation and official data. I'm talking here about CPI, the Consumer Price Index. It has its limitation, but it is an official government data. Um, I think personally, it's actually reasonable to expect prices uh, for things that you purchase. So if you make a basket of things that you purchase regularly, um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility this year we'll see 5 to 10% inflation. So that's my personal view. I could be wrong on that, but we're already seeing signs. In the U.S., the Fed is getting a lot of flag because um, they were saying a few months ago that there would not be any inflation uh, with all the stimulus they're doing. Uh, they were saying that it is required. Now that we're starting to see signs of inflation, especially with the CPI, the Fed has actually changed its tune a little bit, saying that it's a transit transitory is a term that they're using, meaning that it's temporary. It's uh, we'll see things kind of die down a little bit. I'm not sure I really agree with the Fed on that because things are reopening. People have a lot of savings. They want to spend on things. Um, I think we'll continue seeing uh, prices go up, and that includes asset prices. Um, the third one is there's very little price upside because of low interest rates and inflation. So if rates uh, go up, bond prices actually go down because they want to align. So the market will align them with what the market is currently commanding in terms of interest rates. So it kind of works in an inverse matter. So that's not a good outcome for bond ETFs since the value will go down to line up with the current market price or yields that um, that you that are demanded, like I just mentioned. If you, you know, people might say, well, okay, I'll just buy the actual bonds and hold them until maturity. The issue with that is if you hold the actual bonds, you'll get the principal back if you hold on to maturity. But the problem is the interest you're getting on those will not be keeping up with inflation. So you're kind of back at that same problem. Um, if you get into government bonds, they're typically seen as being safer than corporate bonds. I personally think that it's it's not really all that true. Um, the reason for that is government bonds are risky because they're expanding their balance sheets. Um, central banks are really expanding their balance sheets and governments are, you know, with all the stimulus that's gone out, um, they're getting more and more in debt. And there's really, there's no backstop like you would have with corporate bonds because corporate bonds 
worst comes to worst, they have assets. And if they go bankrupt, then bonds are first in line to recoup some of those assets. And you typically would get back, as a general rule, about 40% of the value of the bond if the company goes bankrupt because those assets are being sold and then bondholders and debt holders are actually being paid out. When it comes to interest rates, just to get back to that, you're seeing interest rates that are starting to tick up. So I went on the Bank of Canada website. Everyone can go on there as well. And the Government of Canada marketable bonds, you can see that the interest rates are actually starting to tick up what the market is demanding. So what this means is the market is demanding a higher interest rate because they see potentially some increased risks with those sovereign or government bonds. Those government bonds, when because the governments have issued a lot of debt, um, typically governments will not pay their debts. What they do is they simply issue more bonds to pay the current ones that come to maturity. So it's kind of a vicious circle that happens. If the market doesn't want the new debts, so if the government tries to refinance and the market says, you know what, we're not, you know, we don't think you're good for it, then what typically will happen is the interest rates will go up for the new debt issued by the government. But that will create a problem with the government because if the interest rates go up, then they owe more and more money. And eventually that could lead to a default. And if the government bonds actually, or the government defaults, then uh, you would lose a lot of your principal, if not all, because they don't have those assets to be backed up. Um, and we've seen that in Europe, at least in Europe, there usually uh, there's a backstop in place with the euro because you have countries that are a bit more uh, financially stable that can help countries like Greece. Uh, but, you know, a country like Canada or the U.S., I mean, you know, there's not really any backstop. I don't want to cause anyone to panic or anything like that. But with the amount of debt being issued, it's definitely a risk. So if no, you know, if people are not looking at that as being a risk, um, you know, I think they're really putting their head in the sand right there. And obviously, governments can always increase taxes, but then that can create other problems itself. If they increase taxes too much on corporation or residents, then you can have money that flees out of the country. So that's really a bit of a vicious cycle that can happen. So those are really the, the big reasons why I'm not a big fan of bonds right now. I don't own any in my portfolio. I don't think cash is a solution because cash is somewhat like the same issue as bond, right? You put that in a savings account, you're going to get very little interest. Um, you know, the solution for that is probably, you know, there's really three main solutions in my mind. So, you know, you invest in stocks like we do. Um, you can invest in real estate, although the price of real estate is getting more and more expensive. So is the price of stocks. And the last but not least, personally, I believe in Bitcoin for that same reason, because there is a cap on the total supply. So in my view, it, it is a good store of value. Um, so those are really the three main options for me when it comes to investing. I really, with the current conditions, I'm, I don't even consider bonds. It's just um, there's just too much risk. I know they're typically seen as safe assets. But when you actually start digging into the fundamentals of bonds, um, you know, there's a real question mark as to are they really safe? Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good point. I mean, I don't have any real hot takes beyond this because, you know, the macro landscape, I think 20 to 30 times better than myself. But I also own no bonds 
And I'm happy about that. I, I, and I would say the reason, number one, that I don't is not because of all the reasons you're mentioning, which are valid. It's just that my time horizon is so long. And most people's time horizon is fairly long. And uh, I think that over time, I expect to see a much better return in stocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a, that's and, a great And various point. other assets. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, we're saying the same thing, just in different ways. Mm-hmm. And if we were 1980, you know what? I think it would be yeah. foolish for us to not have any bonds. It would be An 18% tenure? Exactly. Like, oh, come on. Give me that all day. (laughs) That's it. So it's really about, you know, unfortunately, like bonds are very affected by the macro environment. That's just the reality. That's just what it is. Um, Stocks can be as well. But good companies, like we've said, they tend to perform well, regardless of the macro environment. But uh, bonds macro has a big impact on them. And look, if I like I said, if I was 1980, like in 1980, I'd probably have like 50 50 bond and stock allocation. Um, Well, you'd be out of your mind not to, right? That's it. Like you're getting almost, you know, 18%, like you said, 15, 18%. Um, anyone doesn't believe me, just Google or ask your parents yeah. if you're you're about. It's wild, eh? Yeah. When my parents bought their first house, they were saying, uh, telling me that they were paying about like 15% interest on their mortgage. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, just a little breakdown. But now I'll, I'll leave it to you to, uh, you know, give us uh, a bit of an overview of what Mercado Libre is, uh, which uh, I'm a big fan of in terms of company, probably falls in the same bucket for me as Shopify. Um, you know, I'd yep. buy it if it wasn't a, such a high valuation. And I feel like at some point I'll probably just pull the trigger. You know what? <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm with you. I just think that. Okay, let's talk about that for a second before I get into Mercado, because from a valuation perspective, you won't be able to find a single metric that'll tell you Mercado Libre is a cheap stock. You won't be able to find it on on sales, on EBITDA, on enterprise value to free cash flow. You just won't find a metric uh, that'll give you that. And if you plug it into your fancy uh, discounted cash flow model, you're never going to come up with a reasonable price to pay. Like in the in the stratosphere that it exists right now. Now, on the contrary to that, is bear with me. What is Mercado Libre's market cap? Let me tell you in a sec here. It's okay, sixty eight billion as of today, May twenty eighth. Sixty eight billion in market cap. In your mind, do you think Mercado Libre could be a five hundred billion dollar company? Absolutely. Um, if you have a long, yes, yeah. If you have a long, the answer time is yes. Horizon. Yes, exactly. And it's you know thinking about Amazon is just so easy to make some comparison here about 15, 15 years ago, and you know Amazon never really looked cheap, and people have to kind of remind themselves of that. If the company has such a big runway, I mean valuation is important, but valuation probably has less of a a bearing on it the longer you kind of look into the future right like if you look out 15 years 20 years in the future we're probably going to be you know talking here with some white hair and uh, we'll be saying hey we should have bought mercado libre all the those years back then because now it's worth half a trillion dollars or potentially more yeah it's it's a great point i mean if you were to look amazon during its historic rise 
I'm in I'm in the camp, man. I'm in the camp of, you know, Graham and Buffett don't overpay for this stuff. But if the opportunity is so massive, it's like what what metric will get you there? And it just doesn't exist. So and and here I'm not trying to be like some late cycle late cycle bull market, you know, I'll pay anything for this. I'm really not there. I can't get there. I probably I hope I don't ever get there. But at 68 billion in market cap, Mercado Libre feels like a steal. And I don't own it, but it's like no it's number uno dose in my like watch list. Yeah, it's hard I'm to use, I'm using some Spanish. Yeah, yeah. I'm using some Spanish because it's a Spanish business. Oh, it's a lot. It's not a Spanish. Showing off it's your a Spanish, Latin American, yeah. but yeah, my <laughs> Spanish is horrible. I'm trying to get better, um, which leads me into my next point for this pitch for my Spanish-speaking fans of the Canadian Investor Podcast. Bear with me here. I'm really trying. Uh, this is a Latin American business, so I'll get into the history and everything, but. I think the discussion we're having right now, Simon, is incredibly important. We could have a whole discussion about this in terms of valuation. Like the opportunity feels so massive, but you'll never get there on an enterprise value to free cash flow metric ever. You just nope. won't get there. No, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Mercado Libre, uh, this is a post for members on Stratosphere. It's called Building an E-Commerce Empire. So Mercado Libre is an e-commerce and fintech platform in Latin America. They serve over 18 countries uh, and they provide commerce tools, payment tools, and they help all over the Latin American region. And their main goal is to democratize commerce across the region through their payment platform and e-commerce platform. So to help visualize what this business does is think of Amazon, Shopify, and PayPal together. And I know that sounds ridiculous. I I know it sounds ridiculous because it's like, how can they be all good at all those things? Well, they are. They really are. Uh, So they they divide their business into e-commerce and fintech. And there are several divisions within those. So I'll get into that right now. So there's six different business units operating under they're reporting structures of e-commerce and fintech. Okay, so Mercado Marketplace is a platform where users buy and sell products. It's like a two-sided marketplace for, for e-commerce, okay? Mercado Shops is like a platform for you to build an online store. So think of like Shopify. Mercado Envios is a shipping service. So think of also like Shopify having that logistics platform built into it to help you buy and sell products online. And then Mercado Clicks is an advertising uh, business for Mercado Libre sites. Uh, Fintech, Mercado Pago. It's a payment system. Uh, It's person-to-person payments. It's business-to-business payments. And they simplify payments across the internet in Latin America. And Mercado Credito, uh, which provides credit line for business. So you, this is like secular trends on crack, you know, like that's what this business is. Um, so I think it's an interesting opportunity. Anyway, so Mercado Libre in Espanol means free market. 
So the founder in 1999, he actually went to Stanford. Uh, he's an Argentine uh, from Buenos Aires, Argentina. And he started Mercado Libre, Libre Marketplace. It was an auction type platform similar to eBay. It had some awesome success in Argentina. They went into other countries. They went into Brazil, which by the way, Brazil is their largest market today. It's almost about 50% of revenue, which is quite a lot. Uh, eBay actually bought in 2001, they bought 20% of Mercado Marketplace. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they um, sold off their stake though. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they did. They They're great did, at selling off-grade businesses. That's, that's just Mer- an eBay, eBay thing. is like, <laughs> their track record, how much would this company be worth? You know, a lot, they still but they stake sold off in, PayPal, right? They did the they, same thing. If they yeah. had their stake in Mercado and they had the stake in in PayPal, it'd be like a five hundred dollar, five hundred billion dollar business, which is mental to think about. Um, anyway, so Mercado Libre took the the continent and Central America, South America, Central America, Latin America, uh, by storm. Okay, so in two thousand and seven, they introduced Mercado Pago which is, think of like PayPal. And the growth on Mercado Pago has been mental, like exponential payment volume. They're moving through the platform and it's become a significant amount of, of total revenue. Um, and they have like a point of sale platform as well, like a square. Um, and it's been really, really effective. So between e-commerce and fintech, revenues are just explosive. Like, I'm okay with paying high multiples if this growth is, you know, there. And the, the growth is really there, man. Like, the growth is insane. Um, and it still feels early days. So that's just my opinion. You have 133 monthly active users on the platform. 133 million. And um, it really is a play on, f- on optionality. They have so much optionality because... Like these tech companies, they can introduce new things like the logistics platform, like the payments platform, and serve it up to their existing customers. And just, it's all gravy. Like it's, it's the optionality and the dominance that they have in Latin America is really, really solid. Their Mercado Envios, which is their logistics business, has nearly 80% of network penetration on e-commerce in, uh, in Latin America. Which is, which is wild to think about. So you might be thinking, like, are they spread too thin? You know, they, they have all these secular trends working for them, and, and they're gaining a lot of market share in all of them, and they're the leader in most of them. So how do they focus on all of them and do all of them well? That's a question I ask myself all the time, but the execution kind of shuts that risk down. I mean, the execution just speaks for itself. Um, across all of these different verticals that they're that they're going into, so I mean, is the is the focus spread too thin? I don't know. The data says no. Um, okay, well, let's talk about um, the geographical climate. We're, you were talking about uh, sovereign debt. Argentina's currency has been shaky. To say, how do, how do I word it, yeah, Simon? That's uh, 
uh, volatile to say the least. I would say it's um, yeah, Argentina, yeah. and I mean, unfortunately, you can result- pay me to own their debt. Yeah, and and that's the that's a, probably the biggest risk with them. I would say it's the political climate. A lot of countries they do business in, and obviously, yeah, currency as well. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not even really so like the political climate. It's more so just like the economic climate inside of these countries is it varies. I mean, they they serve up their their platforms in eighteen different countries. Some of them are rock solid, some of them not. But there are there are an, U.S. listed business, and they report in like there's all kinds of currency adjustments they have to do, and that might be the biggest risk. Um, because you know if there's so much currency risk, how much are they making in USD? And that's all I really care about. If their if their if if their payments platform and their e-commerce platform is dominating, but if you look on a chart of USD and it's just flatlined because you know the the currency keeps devaluing. That's that's risky, man, and it, uh, it's something you got to consider. So now that we got that out of the way, uh, their foothold in e-commerce and payments in Latin America, they're leading with this marketplace, the platform, the logistics, the software subscription for the shops business. Mercado Pago is becoming such a big part of society. They're building this insane moat across all these high growth secular trends in Latin America. And by the way, fun fact, Latin America is the fastest e- uh, growing uh, geographically in all of e-commerce. They had 32% year over year growth in 2020 for e-commerce. I think North America was 28% according to eMarketer. So they're the gro- they're the fastest growing, which is kind of nuts to think about. Uh, so this business is in all the right places they're executing well. The growth is mental. And um, I'm really thinking about entering a position. Buying, what are you thinking, Simon? Buying one share? Yeah, buying one. I don't know what it trades for, but. 1400 or close to that, US? 1363, I think, right now. Yeah. Is that in pesos? No. <laughs> no, no, dollars. it's good old uh, greenback. <laughs> greenback. Yeah, so that's the. Uh, that's how I'm feeling on Mercado. No, well put. There's yeah, a, definitely well put. There's a lot going on. Is is there's a lot going on in this business? Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of upside. I uh, to, uh, totally agree with you on that. Uh, but you know, there are some risks with every business. There are risks, and I think you outlined those well. And uh, for people looking to invest in them, don't be surprised if you see. Um, you listen to calls or you look at annual reports and like Braden said, you see some pretty wild currency fluctuations because, you know, it's the name of the game for them. They have all their revenues in other currencies and then they report in USD. So um, and they they usually talk about it when they release their statement. So, um, I mean, how can you not? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, how can you not? And if you own this business and you're not thinking about that, then I'd be worried. So, um but all given that, I think that we're, we've had an interesting conversation at the beginning about this too, about how you how do you how do you get there on price? And I can find things that are trading at similar multiples that have one fifth of the growth. Yeah. So like, so Mercado like Melly looks you know so cheap when yeah. you think about it. One comes to mind. I think it's called uh, you know Phase Drive. 
<laughs> hey, I think I don't even. I'm following it. I hope it's zero. Uh, uh, it, it's not. I just uh, it was it was too easy just to to talk about you it. Got to dunk on it. Now to serious business. Okay. Serious business. It's the under. It's the we're done our yeah, episode. But uh, this is this is serious business, Simon. Yeah. What's going on? Tell me. Okay. Well, we had, there was a great uh, great hockey game last night. Uh, unfortunately, oh. your prediction of a Toronto in five did not come true. We're going to a game six, and uh, I'm actually there's fans. Pro- there's gonna be fans, fans at the Bell Center. Yeah, I was gonna say, regardless who you're a fan of, whether your team is out, whether you hate hockey, whatever it is, I think it's just something to tune in even if you tune in for just 10 minutes just to see people in the stands in canada i believe it's the first time for all sports that there's actually yep. fans for a game um they're going to have i think it's 12 or 15 percent capacity but 2500 mm-hmm. people and it's gonna it's be it's gonna a- be rocking still though like those 15 percent are gonna sound like 75 percent oh yeah so they're and- gonna be so fired up and I was listening to a sports show from Montreal this morning. They said the guy called in. He's a season ticket holder. Got a, got himself some tickets, and I think he paid like five hundred bucks for them each ticket. Pretty good tickets, I think. And uh, if he were to sell them, you would get uh, thirty five hundred to four thousand per ticket. Whoa! Yeah, it's. Uh, I think. I don't know. I don't know if it's all the Toronto money trying to, to get those tickets. It could be. It, well, it's both, man. It's They're both big markets. They're both big markets. And I think it just shows that people have money, um, you know, to spend. People just want to get out. They want to return to normal. And that's probably the biggest thing for me is just, you know, it's a light at the end it's of the It's probably tunnel. sentimental value too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and- you can tell your grandkids you were at the first hockey game back. From the from fans. The pandemic. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm excited to watch it. I'm still hanging on to my prediction of Montreal in seven. Um, Montreal in seven? Yeah, I did put 100 bucks on the series when it started. Uh, I was getting, I think, 3.7 to one. So it wasn't looking good last game. But now I'm, uh, you know, there's a little hope. Um, but uh, I think it's a fun game. If both teams play like last night, whoever wins, I think it'll be uh, just just yeah. an entertaining game uh, to watch because there's uh, Toronto has a lot of skilled players, but you know Montreal has some kids that are pretty talented too. Some of those kids are buzzing out there on Montreal. I really like the way Suzuki plays. Yeah, yeah, I really do. Uh, you know, all of them were saying before this before we start recording. They're all like a bunch of small guys who have a, lo- a ton of skill. And are absolute grinders in the corners, like Gallagher, uh, Katkenyemi. I don't know if I'm saying his name wrong, I'm sure. Kat, Katkenyemi, yeah. Um, Katkenyemi and, um, and Suzuki and, and more like the full Caulfield, like, so yeah. Caulf- Caulfield, like those guys are those guys are buzzing out there, but uh, I guess I guess Leafs and six now. I guess well, Leafs and yeah. six. And I, I'm just gonna say one more thing on that is, uh, can you imagine if the Leafs lose Saturday? How uh, like people will just be freaking out in Toronto. I won't be able to sleep until Game Seven. <laughs> it's just there's gonna be so there's just endless amounts of disappointment. What is this? Uh, Marner and Matthews fifth playoff series together. Yeah, and going back to, was it the series they lost against Boston? Weren't they up like 3-1 several years ago, and then they, yeah, they and completely then lost Jake it? Gardner, yeah. Jake Gardner puked up the puck <laughs> in the top of the circle, just giving it to Brad Marchand and uh, David Pasternak right in their office over and over again. Yeah, but anyways, it'll be it'll be a fun game. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully the Habs win, but uh, whatever happens, just fun seeing people in the stands. 
All right, before this podcast turns into the Canadian spitting chicklets, <laughs> which I, I think we'd be terrible at that, but that's oh, okay. We, we would. Uh, we'd be just terrible. Let's stay in our lane. Um, thanks for listening, guys. If you go to getstockmarket.com, I'm pumping out content, baby. I'm talking tons of content. We're doing two, three reports, four write-ups a, a week. Endless content. I share a lot of it on my Twitter for free, but uh, Stratosphere members get the full reports and uh, my full ranking. So uh, appreciate that if you go on there so I don't have to eat dirt and ramen all year now that I'm fun employed. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.